Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is your host, Tad Dickel. And I'm here today with Randy Hobson. He's the owner of two very fine restaurants in the Evansville, Indiana area, Pangea and Second Language. Randy, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Appreciate the invite. If you wouldn't mind uh, starting with just telling our listeners about your background. Well, I uh, I grew up in Vincennes, Indiana, and uh, had an opportunity to go to University of Evansville and Eventually started doing some internship work at Berry Plastics back when Berry was a $28 million company. Hard for people to believe, probably today. Also dates me. <laughs> but uh, I spent 25 years with Berry, had a wonderful opportunity to kind of live all over, travel a lot, uh, learn, a, learn a ton, and be part of a company that was quite, quite a dynamic operation, a lot of acquisitions. And um, so that, that led me to. Uh, at 47, I decided to retire uh, after 25 years with Barry, and uh, my retirement uh, was to get into the restaurant business, which is, uh, I've been told, a crazy, uh, crazy idea, and some days I believe it, some days I, I, I would defute that. So Sure, and we are today in the second language uh, location, downtown Evansville, so our listeners may hear a little background noise as the staff gets ready to uh, clean up after lunch and get ready for the the dinner rush, right? You bet. You bet. Yeah. Uh, so we, we get a little break here until 4 o'clock, but we'll be back at it. And uh, I've been super fortunate. Got an awesome team here. And, uh, yeah, they're busy, but uh, they're doing good things. So. That's good. <laughs> now tell me what kind of inspired you to go into an in, in industry that probably a lot of people would say is a – fairly difficult one in terms of, um, you know, hiring staff, in terms of uh, retaining staff, in terms of profitability, profit margins. Tell me about what kind of inspired you. Uh, yeah, all of those are very true, Ted. <laughs> well, I, you know, this is something that I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. I, I was, uh, as a, as a young child, it sounds crazy, but in fifth and sixth grade, I lived close enough to, to my house at lunchtime. I could run home and I would make myself a, a cheeseburger or whatever. Um, I just always loved cooking and, you know, had opportunities, you know, working the pizza business at uh, Bob's Pizza in, in Vincennes and Lawrenceville. Uh, ultimately, in college, I got an opportunity to be a dishwasher at the Cork and Cleaver, and then I was a busboy, and then I was a server. And all those things kind of just... Um, stuck in the back of my mind for many, many years. Um, I certainly felt like um, I needed to prove myself and, and create a situation where I could take that risk on. And at 47, after Barry went public, I decided it was time to, to take that, that dive. Um, I had an opportunity with Barry to live in, you know, several places around the United States, big metro markets, and travel a lot, and entertain, and work with a lot of food clients. And all those things were just fueling the fire, so to speak. And, and finally, I got to that point where I knew if I screwed this up, my kids were not going to starve. They were going to get a good college education. 
and uh, I finally made made the plunge. And I guess the why is in in short story, what I want to do is create a better food culture in this city. Mm-hmm. And you can do that in a lot of ways, but it's not going to happen by adding more chains. It's gonna not going to happen by adding restaurants that serve foods out of pouches, out of cans, you name it. We try to do things the right way. We try to do them from scratch. We try to do them authentically. And in particular, when it came to ethnic foods, that's where my passion really lied. I really appreciate uh, a lot of the, not only the food cultures, but also the, the, the family cultures, whether that's Thai food, whether that's Latino, whether that's Italian. Those, those people gather around food, and uh, that's kind of the common denominator here. But, uh, you know, uh, what I want to do is create a culture where, you know, our team and many of them that have been with me since we opened almost eight years ago, um, when I retire, they're doing cool stuff and creating things that keep young professionals in the city. It keeps, you know, retirees in the city. Um, I learned that very well in my life at Barry. You know, we made many, many acquisitions, and, and a lot of the keys of those acquisitions was, was to retain talent and get them to buy into, hey, I want to move to Evansville. I want to be part of Berry Plastics. And I have a little piece of that cloth, but, you know, that whole thing creates an environment where, selfishly, I want my kids to live here, you know? So, sure. So things like that. And I think uh, as somebody who lives in the Evansville area, I can definitely see you've made a positive contribution to uh, – food culture here, and uh, you have two, two great establishments. Tell me a little bit, as we think about leadership, you led in a, you were in a leadership role at Barry. You now own a company, two different locations. What, what is your approach to leadership? And, you know, is it any different from being in a big corporate setting oh, to oh yes. a small, you know, relatively small business? I mean, the, the threads are the same. Mm-hmm. The style is definitely different. Mm-hmm. You know, at Barry, I was working with a lot of people that super well-educated, been in business a long time. I was more of an orchestrator, kind of the quarterback to help bring that team together, uh, keep everybody on task. You know, I wasn't sharing a lot with them. I wasn't teaching a lot with them. They, they were the subject matter experts. Mm-hmm. It was more of selecting the right people for the right roles to, to create a very uh, productive team. You know, on the other side, the restaurant business is a lot about finding people that are willing to invest in their skills. You can find anybody to open a bag of French fries and throw them in a fryer. Find somebody that wants to make a three-day donut, a croissant from scratch, a ramen broth from scratch, things that are tedious. The most underappreciated ingredient in any food is time <laughs> recipe. In that recipe, time. People love instant gratification, whether that's buying a popsicle at the grocery store or, hey, going home and pouring something in a pan and 30 minutes later we have happiness. But a lot of the good things take time and effort. And and some people are into that. Some people are not. You know, American culture is so trained on on speed and quickness and, and, you know, that instant gratification. You you look at the drive-through world. I I mean, I lived that life at Barry. You know, how do you sell a drive-through cup to McDonald's, you know? (laughs) It's all about getting more spin, getting people in and out quickly, blah, blah. I could go on and on. But other cultures around the world, they're at a different pace and right, a lot of right. times, and they take time to enjoy food, and they enjoy it as with friends and with family. And, and again, back to that, that culture that, that I really appreciate, food is a part of that staple. Mm-hmm. 
I enjoyed, for example, when I was in Italy, sitting down and dinner ended up being a probably a three-hour, sometimes more Absolutely. Uh, event rather than just a meal. I mean, there were multiple courses and just, just socialization that, yet, sure. that, that often in the U.S. culture, you know, it's like if, if a family sits down to a dinner a couple times a week, they're probably doing doing really well compared to many. They certainly are. They certainly are. And, you know, those memories as of childhood, sitting around the table with my three older brothers, and my mom would, she'd fry a whole chicken. And if you had quick hands, you got the better pieces. I ended up with a lot of necks and, and wings <laughs> and things that now wings are pretty cool. Wings back then were, you know, they, they weren't a thing. But kidding aside, uh, you know, it's a lost art. And, and, you know, what we try to do is create an environment in our restaurants where people can come together, so to speak. That's where Pangea comes from, bringing people together around food, just like the continents. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and being able to share and, 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 and talk about, hey, oh, I love that. Let me try that, you know. And our restaurants aren't incredibly formal for that reason. We, we want people to share and they want, we want dialogue and we want, we want to educate. Mm -hmm. Great. It sounds like you're in an industry then where a lot of the employees are coming to you maybe with the interests of working in a restaurant and the willingness to, to learn, develop their skills, but they definitely aren't coming in with the skills needed to, you know, prepare food at the, at the level no that question. you want. No question. Those are the things that I'm, I'm most proud of when I look at some of the people in our organization that came in that our pizziolo, a guy named Eric Luna, Brown Bear, that's what people know him as. Brown Bear was 18-year-old kid working at Taroni's making sandwiches. He didn't even make pizzas. And gen our general manager, Corey, said, hey, I want you to meet this kid. He comes in for the interview. He literally wouldn't even look at me. He could hardly speak. And I said, man, he's, he's super quiet, you know. And he said, trust me, this kid is a learner, a hard worker. And Eric went from that quiet 18-year-old kid that could barely look me in the eye to now our general manager at the pizzeria next door. And I got many, many stories like that, you know, self-taught. People that I had the opportunity to bring in a pizziolo from Naples, Italy for six months to help train Eric. Wow. And within three months, we were ready to do our thing. Eric, Eric had it. Our pastry chef, Sarah, she was my first hire. You know, Sarah was a pastry uh, graduate from uh, Sullivan University, but she had never worked with gelato. So, you know, one of the things that I invest in is sending our people out to train with the experts in the industry, you know. So she went to Charlotte, spent a week learning how to make gelato, learning the equipment. Same with the pizza side, classes in L.A. with the Vera Pizza Napolitano. To the ramen, I work with a gentleman named Kenichi Oto, who is basically a ramen lord in Japan. He happens to live in the United States now and consults all over. You know, I did five days with him. He came here, spent three days with our team. He helped us get our equipment to cook the broth, which is 90% of a good bowl of ramen is the broth. Mm -hmm. and, and again, there was nobody on the streets of Evansville that came in and said, I know how to make ramen broth. Believe me. <laughs> so to your point, it was always finding those people that are willing to spend the time to learn. And, you know, we all make mistakes and, and, you know, we want people to grow through those mistakes. So having the creating an environment, a leadership environment that 
makes it okay to try and fail. And, and to, but if you, you know, you learn and you get better and you're better and you're better. I, I've seen it in every restaurant we've opened. The three we have, basically, you know, our product gets better over time because of repetition, because we figure out a better way to do things. So it's an endless pursuit. There is no, there's no goal line for this. It's always changing. Um, but that is the environment that, that I love. And the people that do well in this environment, uh, they have that same passion. Uh, the last thing I would, would say from a leadership style is, you know, the number one trait, probably two traits. I, I look for people that have empathy, and I look for people that are humble. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you're not always going to get that recipe, but, you know, people that can understand their job and how it affects other people, our prep people, and how it affects the kitchen line our line people and how it affects the servers and what they serve. I mean, all those are understanding other people, understanding what's important to them, and then just being humble and, and not, I know everything, I know this, I know, hey, you know what? <laughs> In this business, there's so much to learn, and, and there's always people doing better. And, you know, I tell our team, I say, we don't benchmark locally. We don't benchmark we benchmark globally. We look at the best in the world. We, I mean, that sounds crazy, but when it comes to Neapolitan pizza, you know, <laughs> the ingredients you're using, same with the ramens. If you're using those same ingredients from Naples, Italy, for example, the San Marzano tomatoes, the double zero flowers, all those things give you an opportunity to be successful. And our product is not the cheapest by any stretch of the imagination. But I think the time uh, to, to secure those products, import them to the Americas, all those things make a difference in the end. Yeah. That's great to hear about how you invest in, in those people who are, you know, really key leaders. So one question I have then is every company probably right now is saying we can't find enough people We're, you know, we can't. We're struggling to recruit. We're struggling to retain employees. What are things that you've done to address that issue, and, and how is that going for you? Yeah. Well, I think if I look back to a year ago today, we were in a much better place, much, much better place. Has it had you know, negative impacts on our earnings? Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. It costs more to get good employees these days. You know, Everybody, when they can't get people, they just start throwing money. And, you know, it's supply-demand. It's the purest of all economies, whether right. that's employees or, or any goods. But mm-hmm. that's part of the, what's going on out there. Uh, that's changed some. You know, one of the biggest inequities I see, to be honest, is front of house versus back of house. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the things I'm trying to work on. You know, a server can come in and, and spend four to five hours and make a really nice return on that four to five hour investment. With the tips. Yeah, and that's, that same person might be in our kitchen uh, in, in, this, in our ramen location, which is a traditional service model. You know, they're not getting those big tips at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, the value of those employees, they're all important. Right. They all have different skill sets. I think the industry as a whole is going to have to address that. I dined at a place in San Francisco about a month ago and comes out and the menu said 20% tip regardless. 17 goes to the server, 3% goes to the kitchen. Hmm. I said, man, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. So that's where 
our biggest challenges have been is, is really back a house. Mm-hmm. The other things that we're doing, I mean, I'm spending a, a lot of my time working with, you know, SciTech locally. You know, they've got a culinary school out there for juniors and seniors. Mm-hmm. We're doing demonstrations out there with our chefs, talking to them about careers in this industry. Same with Vincennes University. Anytime we can get in front of kids hosting a group from Vincennes that's in their agricultural program to talk to them about hydroponic, aquaponic farming, what those careers look like, how important they are to the industry. You know, we happen to use a lot of those type of growers, organic growers, hydroponic, aquaponic, incredible products. But it never will get over the hump if people aren't coming into that trade, people aren't investing and scaling it up. There's only so long you can afford those premium products. Someday they have to, to get more in line. So mm-hmm. things like that. Sure. What about like the, the retention piece? Are there any things that you've done that you feel like have been really helpful in terms of making, them, making employees want to stay part of a, the company? Yeah, I think it, it's the give a shit strategy. I hate to say it that way, but you know what? Um, I, every employee we have, I treat them exactly the same as, be, as best I can. And at Pangea Kitchen, some people probably question, we have a tip jar out there on the, we'll call it the, the quick service side. You know, you're ordering at the counter, you get the food brought out to you. It's designed to be a quick service model. Uh, that tip jar supports a lot of our employees. Those tips get distributed to the dishwasher throughout our organization. That is a big big win for our employees you know it, it's it's a lot of money to them on their hourly basis you know here where we're full service dining we don't have that and back to my my concerns about back of house sure you know so you know things like that are important if people want to learn things they want to travel they want to see things they want to go to the national restaurant show they want to go visit an xyz restaurant they want to go to an incredible market in Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, within reason, I will make that happen. I want those people to be exposed to things that help them grow. <laughs> Our very first trip we took with Pangea, like eight years ago before we opened, I took our key team to New York City, and we spent a lot of time in New York City and Manhattan, but we also went into Brooklyn and went to a place called Smorgasburg, which is one of the most amazing food venues I've ever been to. But, you know, every Saturday and Sunday, fall to spring, uh, in Williamsburg and Prospect Park, they have this thing called Smorgasburg. And it's, it's probably 100 to 130 vendors that are doing all sorts of things. I mean, from true artisanal sauces to very, very unique ethnic foods from all around the world. And you can imagine the melting pot of, of food and mama's, you know, mama's enchiladas that, that make it to those kind of events. And, it was such an eye-opening experience. And then they're like, this is why I want to do ROM. This is why I want to do macaron. This is why I want to do Neapolitan pizza. You know, those things are uh, inspiring, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that's, that's what gets me excited about doing things. You know, everything we do, we try to bring something different. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not, we're not out there to make it cheaper. We're not out there to knock somebody off. We're out there to create our own path. And that's a scary path, but it's also it's a blast. Sure. I, I think you have a really unique pairing of like Neapolitan pizza and then you have like a ramen dish and gelato all in the same place. And initially I thought about that. I thought, how can you be good at 
these sort of exactly. random exactly. Uh, foods, but you, you've done a really great job of doing that. Were you concerned ever about trying to pair those those different dishes? Or I didn't. No, I knew it was. I knew it was going to be good. I mean, our chef, our pizza side, we were covered. You know, I had the gentleman from Naples, Italy, um, on Detroit. I had a gentleman come down and train us. Um, he won the world championship in specialty pizzas, making a Detroit style pizza. Detroit style pizza has been around since the fifties. It just hasn't been in vogue. A lot of the reasons, in my opinion, is the toppings were, you know, they were cheap, but the fundamentals of that pizza were great, the crust. And if you take that to a different level, and that's what you're seeing now, that, that's become what was a kind of a commodity pizza is now like hip. You'll see it in New York, you'll see it in Louisville, whatever. But the fear was that we didn't execute it right. Uh, because on the Thai side, our chef was from Bangkok, Thailand. She was a classically trained Thai chef. She, she literally cooked in the academy, the king, in the palace, 40 students a year. My biggest fear with her was she wants to make everything beautiful and carve every carrot. I'm like, we need to make street food. We need to make Thai drunken noodles. We need to make cow soy. Stuff people can consume, get their head around. They're not intimidated by. And after we open, you know, I'm a big, when I'm in the restaurant, I feel water because I can see what people are eating, what they're saying. What they're not eating. Um, but, you know, I saw these kids coming in and getting the drunken noodles and pizza, and the parents are, like, at the table. And the world is shrinking so fast. Mm-hmm. And, and the knowledge base, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> we had a burger chef in Vincent's. We didn't even have a McDonald's when I was a kid. But, you know, today they see the Food Network. They're on the Internet. They have friends all over the world. The integration of the population, the ethnicity is changing in America and for, for good, good reasons. And kids are so much more educated. So that was like the moment I said, you know what, this is going to work. Right. Because people love choices and everybody doesn't like thin crust. Well, if you don't like thin crust, you want a hearty pizza, get the Detroit style. Because the thin crust Neapolitan, it's not a crispy cracker crust, it's far from it. There's 27 other ones in Evansville. Go right. get it, you know? <laughs> but in the end, having things for everybody and getting them to try it. Mm-hmm. The pistachio pizza is a great example. Our number one selling pizza. People were like, there's no way. I, I, don't, I don't Sounds disgusting. And then they eat it and they love it. Mm-hmm. I've never lost a bet. Every time I said, if you order that pizza and you don't like it, I'll get you a different pizza. I still haven't lost that bet. So encouraging people, getting them comfortable. And, you know, there's been misses. Uh, we did, uh, hell, we had a counter full of beautiful meats imported from all over the world, beautiful cheeses and prosciutto, you know, brisala and all these crazy things that people, like, come in and are like, I don't know what the heck that is, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, we had to adjust. Mm-hmm. It was too much. Right. It, was, it was just like, you know, we, when we opened the French bakery next door, mm-hmm. we were making true croissants from scratch, three days a true layered donut, three days. It's unheard of. People would come in and scream at us because we ran out of product. I'm like, have you ever been to a, a real bakery? You run out because right. you make it from scratch. Anyhow, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> How would, have, would you say your leadership then has evolved when you open the, the other locations? So I mentioned you really have two locations, but you have multiple yeah, there's two, two restaurants yeah, yeah, here in yeah. this building. Totally, totally. And, and so 
all of a sudden you go from having just Pangea, then you add the second location downtown. How did you adjust to that? Boy, my time went from, I was at Pangea a lot. I really, you know, had to think and, you know, really get my head to say, you know what, Pangea is in great hands. I've got a team that's incredible. Corey Miller, our general manager, been with me forever since we opened. He's amazing. And I had to get to say, all right, this is your baby. And, you know, I come back in there and he'll be like, what the hell are you doing here, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, you know, in, in a good way. But that was a big change for me personally because that was our our maiden voyage. But it was clear to me that, that I needed to be here. I needed to be on the floor. I need to understand what's going on. And now, you know, I'm getting to where I've got, also got a great team here, a um, lot of stability, great, great workforce. And, you know, now I'm getting more dealing with bigger picture issues. You talked about employment. How are we recruiting? How are we training? How are we in- developing our existing employees? Mm-hmm. How do I get our leadership team to understand other cultures? Latino, we have a large Latino population of employees. They're incredible incredible employees and our ability to communicate with them is a big challenge and we've got to get better at that i i'm i'm guilty i took german in high school i don't know why just because my dad said that was our heritage so i took it i wish i'd take spanish but point being the workforces in america are changing dramatically and if you're not adjusting to that you need to right yeah right and that's one of the things so my job is becoming more how do we put structure in place to help those key managers? You know, they can't do it all every day. And especially when you have three restaurants and you have critical mass and you have some synergies that you got to take advantage of. I learned that at Barry. I mean, scale is, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. you know? You know, really working to take advantage of those things. And I'll never leave the desire to develop new foods. That's my other, where I spend more and more of my time is definitely finding new things. I just did a trip on the West Coast, spent three and a half weeks. I went from Vancouver, British Columbia, down to San Diego, into, uh, you know, southern Arizona, New Mexico, <laughs> eastern Texas, mm-hmm. and ate some incredible foods, very inspiring, and had some of the best mole I've ever had in my life. Got to go to Hatch, New Mexico, when they're actually harvesting the chilies mm-hmm. and driving through a town of 1,500 people that are Probably six different locations are literally roasting the chilies, and you roll down your windows, and it's just like, that's the stuff that, like, makes me happy. And those are the type of things that I want to share and bring back. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're interested in, in maybe a, a next effort being more like Southwestern or... Yeah. Well, we, some we closed, interest there? Yeah, we closed on a building last Tuesday... A week ago today and um, in Newburgh. So uh, we are working on something that is definitely going to be South American influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say Latin American, but nothing like you see today. We may have a few tacos on there, but, you know, it's more things like moles, mm-hmm. you know, ceviche, some interesting grilled meats. Uh, one of the, my favorite steaks is, is called, it's a picanha. It's basically, it's a fat cap over a top sirloin. It's a top sirloin with a fat cap. In in Brazil, that's like when you go to a charcuterie or, or what's the word, 
where they slice the meat off of the sticks, you know, that's stuff like that. Interesting fish. Uh, so it'll be a l- little more elevated than mm-hmm. what we do today, but we will start demo on that tomorrow, actually. So that's, that's my job. I can go in and tear stuff up. I can't fix a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. It is exciting. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And again, it's a learning experience. You know, I'm not... I'm learning every day, you know, learning about mole. Moles are like making ramen broth. It's Mm -hmm. tedious, time-consuming, lots of ingredients, lots of time. But, you know, in in Oaxaca, Mexico, people make that with their eyes shut every day. You know, it's part of their culture. But, you know, bringing those things here, that's what gets me excited. Mm -hmm. What has been sort of your strategy for raising awareness or marketing your your restaurants because i mean i think one of the advantages of a chain restaurant is that people know what a applebee's is or something like that all of a sudden you insert a brand new restaurant new name people aren't familiar with it a lot of people as you know kind of getting get in a routine in terms of places they like to visit how have you you know marketed the restaurant what do you say your strategy is for success there you know just trying to be heavily involved in the community and you know in two ways one you know working with the the local farmers to the the meat purveyors to uh, places like urban seeds that are doing cool things Um, haven't done anything with seed and harvest but there's a lot of little local things that are going on we want to support that, be a part of those things, but also just getting the word out. It takes word of mouth. It takes people coming in, trying and saying to their friend, go there. I didn't like ramen. I don't know anything about ramen. I had a good time. It was a great experience. I learned a lot. Those are the things. And, you know, Pangea, it took a long time. I mean, I spent the first year responding to reviews of people that would say, man, the pizza's wet. It's, it, you can't pick it up. It's, it's, not a, it's not crispy on the bottom. No, that's it's that's in Naples, Italy. They don't even cut it. They give you a fork and a knife, and you, you that's how you eat it. Education, repetition, stay in the course. Educating our team so they can educate the customers is really important. You know, the other thing we do, like we're doing a big fundraiser next month on the eleventh, I guess it is, with uh, Jamie Sheth. She does a lot of incredible things in the city. Uh, we're teaming with her and uh, Warehouse 410 behind us, which is a brand new venue. We're having what's called a, a rock and ramen event, and it's a big fundraiser. But we're going to do three sessions, 30-person sessions, so 90 people through here. And we're going to give them the abbreviated version of our ramen experience, which is our kind of experience to come in and learn about ramen. And it's very low-key. We do this about once a quarter now. And, and again, getting somebody here that doesn't know anything about it, have an opportunity to learn about it. Why do we do this? Why do you do that? We, have a, we literally have a flight of the broths that we serve. So they can taste a vegetable broth. They can taste a chicken broth. They can taste a birria broth. They get, again, just helping them understand. And, and usually, you know, they're not going to love everyone. You know, they might say, man, the vegetable's just right for me because it's, you know, it's super mellow. It's clean. It's, you know, it's not creamy. Those kind of things go a long way of getting people in the door. And I tell our team, if we get them in the door, it's shame on us if we lose the customer. And you're mm-hmm. not, you're not going to win everyone. People are going to walk away and say, that was not for me. And 
okay. You mm-hmm. know, I'm just ate up. I love all food. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Well, I think that is a great approach, though, because ultimately what, what you want is to develop a customer base that's, that's loyal, that then they spread the word to their connections and say, this is a great place to visit. And that's so much more powerful than, I mean, there's definitely value in digital marketing, social media, website, but when it comes down to it, if you're someone you, you like and trust says, hey, you need to check this place out, yeah. that, that carries a lot more weight than a paid ad on, Absolutely. on Facebook. Yeah, and, you know, we, we spend the money, you know, we post Instagram, Facebook. It's, it's really about photos of the food and trying to engage, bring our people into those posts, you know, making them part of it. You know, our pizza posts for Pangea Kitchen has been very successful, but we have like a pizza of the month. And Bo, who is Brown Bear, the gentleman I mentioned earlier, his little brother took over running the pizza program at Pangea when he came down here to be the general manager. Again, awesome. Love it. Young, younger brother steps right in. He and a, a gentleman named William, uh, who, who came here from San Francisco, said, I, I just love pizza and I want to work here kind of guy. And they do this little video at the, and they're, <laughs> they're like freaking frack. But again, little things like that. Um, and they talk about the pizza, they talk about the heritage, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. And people love the characters, right. you know, so to speak. And they want to know what makes these people tick. So it's, you know, it's a lot of visual foods, educational, but also trying to do a better job of bringing our, our people to our customers more because they don't, you know, they're behind that wall doing great things. They're always like, well, hey, tell me, how's Corey? How's, you know, Brown Bear? How, you know, how's, how's Everett? You know, that's cool. I love that stuff. So they're the stars of the show, you know. Based on your background, you know, being at a, large company like Barry moving into this, what kind of like business strategy do you consider as you think about the next year or few years? Yeah. Yeah. Man, some of my old, old leaders at Barry would, would probably be, rem- they'd probably give me a couple words about it, but I do my best, you know, to bring over a lot of the things, you know, Barry was such an acquisitive company and they were really good about scale you know, and, and driving costs through technology. A little bit different than what we're trying to do. We're niche, you know, we're, 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 we're taking little bites here and there. We don't want to be big. We don't want to be a franchise. I can care less about franchise. It's very different, but the fundamentals of how you treat your employees, how you develop your employees, um, that's, that's the carryover that I see a lot. And, um, you know, that... Is, is, is not distinguished by the company strategy. It's, it's more like what's, what's in your heart and, and what's in your soul and, and, and how you treat others. And, you know, the restaurant business can be a very caustic place. And believe me, we've had our days and we'll have more of our days. But uh, in the end, you know, we usually hug it out later and, and you know, you move on. But right. But the people element, I really, I really focus on that. And then that benchmarking, back to that benchmarking. Mm-hmm. Who is best in class? Who is, best, who is doing this better than anybody? And it may be one part of that. It may be the, the tomato. It may mm-hmm. be the, the mozzarella. 
And that's why I go to vendors. I visit a lot of vendors. I want to see, I want to hear what they do and why they do it and how they do it, you mm-hmm. know. Um, some of the marketing can, can be deceiving. Mm-hmm. You know, you get misled, you know, oh, this is great. And in the end, you know, a blind Tate test is always interesting. Because mm-hmm. you think, you, oh, well, that's got to be Baba. Well, when you taste, whether it's an olive oil or a tomato, you do a blind Tate test, it takes, takes the gloves off, so mm-hmm. to speak. And, and I like that. So that's another element of like just benchmarking and, and, you know, picking our fights, not the fights, but picking the places to invest our money, our time, our training. And cause you can't be everything to everybody, but there's a lot of fundamentals in, in, in cuisines all around the world. I mean, if you, if you step back and look at it, the tortilla, the roti bread, the naan bread, you know, they're all handhelds, you know, whether you're in Asia or whether you're in the Middle East or you're in, in South America, you know. What's delivered on that piece of bread, dough, whatever, could be anything. But, you know, those are fundamentals. It's, it's about executing. If you're going to do a Korean product, do it the right way, you know. <laughs> so, I don't. Have there been any setbacks that you look back at, you know, over your career? I mean, maybe that was Barry. Maybe that's now that you've been in the restaurant industry that you look back on that you've learned from. Oh, gosh, many. <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, which, if I could pick one that really impacted me. I, you know, there were many days. I, I, well, I'll use this one. My very first trip as an employee of Barry, I was an intern for two summers, and then I became a sales guy, which meant I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. My boss came to visit me. My first sales trip with him, I blew it. I overslept. You know, he's knocking on the door, you know, at the Hampton Inn, you know, and it wasn't like you're inside. It's so, what, the, the, the door facing the parking lot. I open the door. It's like 730, and he's like, where the hell are you? You know, and, and then, you know, the sales calls were not good, and, and he was such an incredible boss. He, he knew how to build you up, and he knew how to break you down and bring you – that humility and, 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 and create that hunger to get better. Mm-hmm. And, but, but that was like, I think it was the moment I said, wow, I'm not in, I'm not in college anymore. This is real, you know? Right. And I, I shed a lot of tears. Mm-hmm. After the, I dropped him at the airport, I'm like, look at myself. What am I doing? This is crazy. Things like that, just, you know, that sticks, sticks in your mind. And, mm-hmm. and, I mean, there's, there's many things, you know, many decisions we made in the business here, you know, opening the patisserie was not a good choice. So you look back at it. It was too labor intensive. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in here at three in the morning. Our pastry chef had two little girls at home. Talk about a tough lifestyle. It was just too, too much. And that's me. That's, I want to do it the right way or I'm not going to do it. And we did it the right way. And people that came to our place had been to Dominic Ansel's restaurant, had a true cronut in New York City, or they'd been to France and ate croissants made that day. They came in and they gave us high fives. But in the end, there weren't enough high fives to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are the lessons that were learned. So, you know, I've tried to take those losses and say, ah, eh, how can we do it better? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are the ones that stick out. Right. Because that was pretty traumatic. And, I, you know, I, I hate to lose. I'm the right. super competitive guy. I, loved, I love competition. I love athletics. I, I love to compete. And when mm-hmm. I lose... I'm a, I'm a sore loser sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. 
But you know what? Barry was the same way. Those guys, I mean, the Ira Boots of the world, the Doug Bells and those guys, they were all athletes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, when they hired me, they said, we want to hire you because, one, you're a good server at the Cork and Cleaver. So I waited <laughs> on their tables. And they said, you're an athlete and you know how to compete. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, pretty simple formula. But in the end, there's a lot of threads there that, mm-hmm. that make sense. For sure. Well, and I think in, in leadership, some of the best coaches are really what sets them apart is not necessarily their strategy in terms of like, you know, offense or defense, but it's often the leadership qualities that they have that set them apart from the competition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, and the people they hire, you know, the, the team they put around them. And I mean, I learned that at Barry, man, hire the smartest son of guns you can find. 10 times smarter than me, but you know what? <laughs> That's what you want. Right. You know? Build the team around yeah. you and make sure it complements your strengths and weaknesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are you excited about right now? I'm excited about our new project for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Uh, my daughter just got married Saturday. Got, that was awesome. We had a, a wedding in my backyard and we catered it and team knocked it out of the park. And my son did the ceremony. He's a theology teacher at Memorial. Awesome. My my other daughter, so my three kids was she was the uh, maid of honor. It was a fabulous day. I'm I'm I'm, like, I'm on cloud nine still from that. But but I, I'm excited about the holidays coming up. I'm excited. You know the winter time for for this place gets busier. Pangea gets busy. You know it gets crazy busy. But those are good times. We're finally turning the corner downtown. Mm-hmm. I mean I will tell you it's been a battle. You know, our lunch business here at the ramen side and the pizza side, we may have a fabulous day. The next day, maybe nobody. Mm. That's a big challenge. But we're starting to make strides, turning the corner. So I'm excited about that. And, you know, you talked about incentivizing employees. You know, one of the things I do is I share profitability. Mm -hmm. I have a profit share with the key employees, the ones that want to participate. You know, they may say, I'd rather have a, a sure thing. Or if you're interested, here's your salary and here's the percentage of profits that we share with you. You know, we're at that point now for here. So I'm excited about that Mm because I've got people back there that have been working their tail off for two years to get to where we're at. And on no fault of their own, you know, it's finally getting over that hump. And that's great. And I just did our profit share for Pangea yesterday and handing those checks out makes me feel great. Sure. Again, that's a, a back to Barry. You know, those, that's the culture there. You know, mm-hmm. twice a year, we had a profit share. For every employee got a check, you know, and the plant manager put on a green jacket. And, I mean, it was a celebration. And right. like, if everybody feels like they contribute to the success of the overall company, then you're going to be a stronger place. Absolutely. And let's face it, everybody has challenges today. And being able to share a little bit of that profit with them, I mean, it just, it just works. And, I sleep well at night. I know my team is vested, just like I'm vested in, in you know, taking care of the customer, doing the right thing, and, and that, that's a great feeling. So those are a few things I'm excited about. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> a lot of good. A lot uh, of good there. Thank you. How can people find out more about you or, you know, your restaurants? Of course, you know, the Internet's out there, Facebook, Instagram. Gosh, for me, uh you know, I, I have a few things out there. I'm not a big guy. Uh, I, I post a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So if you're interested in food and different foods, follow me on Instagram or, or Facebook. Um, I, every time I, I'm inspired by something, I usually post about okay. it. You know, me personally, I, I don't know. Uh, come hang out with us, you know, <laughs> come to the restaurant. And uh, we also are, you know, we're also out there to help other people. Mm-hmm. And I say that in a way that friends, family, acquaintances, you know, people that maybe don't know me that well, but they know somebody that says that person needs a good environment, call us up. We'd love to talk to them about, the, you know, hiring those people. That gives me a lot of personal satisfaction to see people come in and grow and do, and do good things. So, Well, thank you so much for uh, being part of this episode, Randy. Really enjoy the conversation. I feel like um, you've done a lot of great things already with these locations and then with the, the new location in Newburgh. That's exciting. It is. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you, you letting us do this. I'd love to talk about our... Our, our team and, and our food. All right. Well, I can definitely tell your passion for it and uh, appreciate your time today. Thanks, Ted. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.